I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 1. And as you are turning there, I want to remind you of that old story that we all grew up loving so dearly. You know the one, the one about the little girl that wore red. Yes, Little Red Riding Hood. You remember the story as she's on her way to Grandmama's house? What happens? The wolf comes along and he dispatches a grandma. He gets in place of grandma and he's preparing for her to, for Little Red Riding Hood to come and for him to be able to devour her. And so he prepares by covering himself up and making himself look like grandma. And she walks in and immediately she knows something's wrong and she looks and she, she says, Grandma, what big eyes you have. The better to see you with. Well, Grandma, what big ears you have as she takes another step and gets closer. The better to hear you with. Grandma, what big teeth you have. The better to eat you with. And he launches out. Thankfully, Little Red Riding Hood ran out was able to escape with her life. But understand the moral of that story is that discernment often makes the difference between life and death. Discernment and being able to discern in a timely manner often makes the difference between life and death. For you put yourself in serious jeopardy when you do not live with discernment. Discernment will keep you flirting with enemies who want to destroy you. Indeed, many Christians need to take heart. They need to learn the lesson from Little Red Riding Hood. For there are many wolves within our culture seeking to prey upon God's sheep. They indeed use the Bible. They talk the talk. They dress the part. They don't have little stickers, little buttons on their vests that say false teachers or false prophets. They come and they seek to infiltrate the church and they seek to wrap their hands around the Christians and strangle them. They seem like nice people. They seem like loving people, but they really want to do nothing more than eat you for dinner. Some of these we have talked about through the passing years. We have talked about Todd Bentley a few years ago when he was carrying on with his sham revival there in Florida. We have talked about Benny Hinn and Mike Murdoch and guys like that. Now there's this guy, Jose Luis de Jesus uh, Miranda down in Miami, and he is a false prophet of the worst kind. In fact, he started off as a normal preacher, but that wasn't good enough. After a time, he needed more of a following, so he proclaimed himself to be Paul and come back in his form. And then that wasn't good enough. That didn't hold a crowd long enough. And so now he claims that he is actually Jesus Christ himself. And when he prepares to walk out on the stage every evening, there is a voice that comes over the intercom and he is announced as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. To which the crowd applauds and goes wild and starts chanting, Lord, Lord, Lord. How sad. How could be people who seem to be so religious seem to be so deceived? Well, I would say it's because we go after all kinds of things that have the shams, that have the makings, the the looking of reality, but we go after them and find out that they are not true spiritual religion. They are nothing more than shams. And as we look at the book of Titus, as we study it through the lens of getting it right, getting right the order and the structure of the church, we need to be aware and be discerning that not everything that calls itself godly is actually godly is it 
Not everyone who says, I am a prophet of God, I am a pastor of God, I am a minister of the gospel, not everybody who makes that claim actually is, are they? Well, the Apostle Paul, impressed by the Holy Spirit, is writing a letter of correction, a letter of exhortation, so that the church would be faithful to God and beneficial to men, so that the church might be discerning about who is actually a man of God and who is not. Indeed, in every generation, the church faces attacks and pressures from the culture outside of her and from those who are false teachers within her very doors. Both of these pressures seek to destroy the fervent witness of faithful Christians to the transformative power of the working of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of this threat, God has now ordained mature, godly Christian men who know the Bible well to stand forth on biblical doctrine and refute those who contradict it. That's what it said in verse 9, right? Of of Titus chapter 1, it said that those elders are to hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That is God's purpose. He has given men who are called elders to lead and guide God's church to be discerning lest the church be destroyed. See, God's under-shepherds and God's sheep at all time and every place must be on guard against attacks from empty talkers as we live a life of spiritual transformation that testifies to the truthfulness of the gospel. And we must understand, if we want to be Christians who are growing and increasing in grace, if we want to be Christians who are living out lives of godliness, lives of holiness, lives that testify to the true transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my heart and my life, then I must be on guard against the attacks of empty talkers. And so with that exhortation, let us take our Bibles and look there in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And let's stand as we read together these words and we see that we are to be guarding against the empty talkers. Guarding against the empty talkers. And it says in Titus chapter 1, verse 10 and following, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of them, sells a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This statement, this testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Father, we come to You now asking that You would make us pure. Father, we understand that there is nothing we can do to gain this. This is something that you do in our hearts when you take out our heart of sin, our heart of callousness, our hard heart that is self-seeking. 
and put in a new heart, a soft heart, a formative heart that you can, you can mold into the image of Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray now that you would do within us the work that only you can do. Father, the things that we do not have, we ask that you would give us. Father, what we know not, we ask that you would teach us. And Father, what we are not, we ask that you would make us. And Father, that as we study today, that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in this passage, we see God's church defends the truth of gospel transformation and guards against the attacks of empty talkers. How? By not only professing the truth, but by practicing the truth. It is, it is true in every generation. If we want to make an impact on our city, on our community, on our culture, then we need to be people who not just profess the truth of God, but practice the truth of God. See, it is when we practice what we preach, what we profess, what we proclaim, that the world sees the difference that the gospel makes. There are many within our culture who stand up and say, I know God, I am a Christian, I am a Christian. And then they deny God by who they are and where they go and what they do and how they live their lives. Listen, clothes make all the difference, young ladies. How you dress or don't dress. To honor God makes all the difference to the glory of God in whether or not you're living as a true transformed son or daughter of the Most High. What you do on Facebook, young people, matters a great deal. You can click and say, I'm a Christian on Facebook, but then live your life in such a way that actually denies everything that you have said by what you post and how you interact and how you respond within that social media. By the language that we use, by the character of our lives, it is discerned whether or not we actually are practicing what we preach. Let me tell you this, often the biggest threat of the effective witness of our words is the way we choose to live our life. Oftentimes the biggest threat to the witness of our words is the way that we choose to live our life. It is often true that we don't witness. Why? Not because we're not convinced that the Bible is true and the gospel is true and it is the power of God unto salvation. We oftentimes don't witness because we know if we open our mouths, it'll deny everything that we did yesterday how sad the church needs to stand firm and understand it is not just a matter of what we profess that defends the truthfulness of the gospel and defends the church against the attacks of empty talkers it is in what we profess and what we practice So let's look at these scriptures today and let's see three specific things. First of all, there's the description of the empty talkers. And secondly, there is not only a description of them, but there is a response to the empty talkers. And finally, we are going to see the two real responses to God's truth at every place and every time throughout history. But let's begin in verses 10 through 13. And there, let us see the description of the empty talkers. As Paul begins, he begins by saying, hey, listen, these empty talkers they are numerically strong there are many of these men who have infiltrated the church well this was a young church this was a small church this was an upstart on the island of crete right yes and yet even within this young small upstart church 
churches, these young, small, upstart churches within Crete, Paul says, listen, there are many who are already there that are seeking to deny the gospel and pull people away from Christ. These individuals had decided that in addition to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there needed to be something else. They were actually rebellious to the word. They pushed aside the testimony of the gospel, redemption in Christ Jesus by repentance of sin and faith in him. In order to say that something else needed to be added, there needed to be more done. There needed to be supplemental teachings, Jewish genealogies and all sorts of commandments of men. We've already encountered this problem within the text of Scripture, haven't we? We did in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and there in verses 3 through 3 and 4, it said this, I urge you, Timothy, upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Listen, there are many who teach you there's all kinds of ways to heaven, but you need to remember, Timothy, there is one way to heaven and it's faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Church, we need to remember that today. Because there are many people teaching all sorts of things. And I want to just draw it out and show it to you sort of plainly. First of all, we'll start back in Paul's day and work our way to today. And I want you to understand, he says to Titus and Timothy, Hey, listen, there are many within these churches who are entertaining, who are teaching some entertaining, interesting, intellectual stories using the Haggadah. Hey, There's some people using a a section of the Talmud, a section of man's law in order to teach things. And within this collection of stories, there are all kinds of high-minded myths and all kinds of speculative stories on angels and genealogies and other Old Testament materials. They call this not the written law, but the oral law. And one of the teachings actually said that angels were circumcised. Really? Well, who says? Exactly the point. The Bible never says it. The Bible never teaches it. But these men started speculating. Well, I wonder if, have you ever heard a teacher start with that? Run the other way. If the teacher says something along the lines, well, have you ever thought about, it's not really in the Bible, but this possibly may be true. Run the other way. But these guys started by, I'm going to give you a nugget of truth. It's nowhere in the Bible. It's not testified anywhere. But here it is. Let me help you and be beneficial to you. Perhaps they had their chalkboards. They had already written out their timelines, all their charts, and the official sounding references on them. They wanted to make sure that everybody saw just how smart and wise they were. They got through with their eloquent, entertaining, and intellectual teaching. And someone said, hey, you need to take this on the road. Package it up. Make six weeks. Can't you just imagine it? Six studies to a deeper life with Christ. To truly understanding spiritual things. In our day, we say, package it up. 
Make it into a DVD. Send it all around the world. Let everybody see it. Let everybody know just how smart you are and just how wise you are because now you've taken and made something out of nothing. Understand, Christian, if we are going to be faithful to God and we are going to serve Him within the context of our culture and within this world and see many people say the plain things of Scripture must be the main things of our teaching and the main things of our teaching must be the plain things of Scripture. Don't run after all of these wild fantasies and tales. There were rebellious people. They, they were rebellious people because they had rejected God's message of redemption and the revelation of His Word and supplemented it with their own empty teachings that would not bring salvation. Their effect was the, was the destruction of those that gave them a hearing. In fact, they turned on the head the very people who they said they intended to set on their feet. This is a major danger in our day because there are authors like Mary Baker Eddy in Christian science religion who has not replaced the Bible. They don't say, oh, we've replaced the Bible. They just set their teachings alongside of the Bible. Receive these. These are the authoritative interpretation of Scripture. Oh, well, that's not, that's not far enough. Well, what about the Mormons? The authoritative writings are not just the Bible, but the Bible plus Joseph Smith's revelations, right? Jehovah's Witnesses, well, the, actually, the Watchtower, tra- tra- Watchtower Tract Society is the source of how we truly come to know and understand the Bible. All of these are dangers. All of these are threats to the church. Why? Because if these things did not emanate from the throne of God, they must have come from the pits of hell. We don't like that. That's dangerous language. I'm pointing out that the Bible is the authority and anyone who rejects the Bible and says embrace something else is actually rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must go with the Bible. We must be good Bereans. For there in Acts 17.11 it said, Now these Bereans, these Jews of Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, they tested what was thought, not just by what was thought, but by what God said. You want to be a Christian that is growing, that is increasing? Don't listen to people and just test them by what you think. You test them by what the Word of God says, and whatever God's Word says, that's where you stand. Let's move on and look at the motive. The motive for their teaching is this. It is sordid gain. It is uh, ill-gotten gains. The goal was to make a dollar. Remember Reverend Ike back in the 80s. I don't want that pie in the sky, heaven when I die. I want cash in the stash here and now. Those are his words. He was quoted as saying that. How in the world could you follow someone after that with that kind of heart? And yet to this day, the church in America is constantly bombarded and not only bombarded, but is actually supporting all kinds of prophets for profit, all kinds of people who have handy hankies, wonderful waters and odorous ointments that make a special promise of healing and protection. If you'll take them and hang on to them, listen, leave them behind. Don't. Don't send a dime to those charlatans on TV 
who are saying, you need to have this, and it'll offer special powers and protection. Here we need to understand, 1 Timothy 6.6 says, Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. I don't need gain in this world, especially sordid gain, undesirable gain in this world. Rather, I need to be satisfied with godliness and that is enough for me. Our focus of proclamation is not earthly prosperity. It is spiritual conformity to Jesus Christ. And if we compromise in this area, we will compromise in every area. Because where our heart is, there also, where our treasure is, there also will our heart be. What kind of city, what kind of culture are you in, Titus? Well, he's in a culture of liars and evil beasts and lazy bellies. Not an ethnic slur. This is not just that Paul had had a bad night's sleep at the Holiday Inn in Crete. This was the reality of one of their own people professing and saying, hey, you want to know what Cretans are like? They're always liars. They're evil beasts and they're lazy gluttons. Man, difficult culture to live in. Well, I think it describes Washington, D.C. pretty well. I don't know. Maybe Raleigh, North Carolina as well. Look at the history of our last two governors. Hey, guys. This is the reality. We live in a fallen culture in the midst of a fallen world that will be changed but cannot be changed by anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the message that brings transformation. That is the message that saves the soul. That is the message that makes those who are once far off and aliens and enemies of God makes them sons and daughters of the Most High. See, Christ plus anything is heresy. And these rebellious men, these empty talkers, were deceiving the church into having hope in something other than the gospel. They wanted them to have hope in all these other things. But understand, external appearance never means internal assurance. Internal assurance, though, will always affect your external appearance. You don't change a vessel from the outside in. You change it from the inside out. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, repent of your sins, place your faith in Christ Jesus who was crucified on the cross to take the penalty of your sin and then risen again on the third day so that you might have hope and assurance of eternal life. Listen, that's the gospel that changes and transforms. That's the gospel that gives hope in the midst of derelict days. Watch out for anyone who is trying to tell you a way to buy yourself way to heaven or to work yourself to heaven. Neither one of these can come true. So we must understand that there are empty talkers even in our day. And this description this befits even those that exist today. Secondly, the response. There is to be an appropriate response to the empty talkers. The empty talkers are to be responded to. Paul instructs Titus and all the elders in the methodology that leads to good, healthy, and sound doctrine penetrating and, uh, and uh, emanating from the church of God. He says to hold fast to the Word of God, for it is the sword of the Spirit. It is the sword that pierces the heart and divides the joint and the marrow. If you ever 
ever want to know where to stand, prayerfully study God's Word and stand firm on thus saith the Lord. I still remember my great aunt's words to me when she uh, knew that I was going into ministry. She looked at me and she said, Todd, you always remember this. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, no matter who you preach to, you remember these words. The only thing worth saying when you stand in the pulpit of God is thus saith the Lord. Don't you please, man. Don't you tickle ears. Don't you make them happy with you. You stand where God has stood. Exhort in sound doctrine. Refute those who contradict. In verse 11, he says, if they're, if they're not listening, if they're not receiving, then you are to silence them. You are to literally muzzle them. Wouldn't that be a sight to see somebody walk up and put a muzzle on a preacher as he was preaching? Some of you have wanted to do that. Verse 13, he says, he goes on and he says, and you need to rebuke, you need to rebuke severely. You need to correct them in a severe way to reprove or to remand them, reprimand them so that they might repent. Understand, though, the men who were to do this were those men described in verses 6 through 9 last week. These are those men who have lived faithful lives. Character is unquestioned within the context of their community. Everybody sees and knows that they are men above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-controlled. These are the men who are to do the correcting. These are the men who are to right those wrongs. So the church and the city and the culture would have seen the truth of a transformed and faithful life that established their testimony to be in watchful care of that congregation. They were people who practiced what they preached and proclaimed. And so discipline was fitting flowing from them. I don't know if you remember those 80s commercials. The uh, uh, 80s commercials saw a lot of different drug advertisements, but there was one where they would come on and the person would be holding an egg. And, of course, what was the first line? This is your brain. And you remember what happened. There's a frying pan sitting there, and they crack the egg open and dump it out. This is your brain on drugs. Highly effective. Made me run from that. But I still to this day remember the other other commercial from that time and it was a dad who walked into the room of his son and he had within his hand a a box of drug paraphernalia and he opened it up and he said son who taught you to do this son where did you get this from why in the world would you do this son who taught you to do this what did that young man that teenager sitting on that bed say you all right I learned it by watching you. That's a negative aspect that is learned from the behavior of those who are in authority. But we can also say that there is a positive aspect to be learned from those who are in authority. Indeed, if you want a godly family, a godly church, and a godly community, you know what you can do. Devote yourself to sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, and make sure those around you do as well. If we are to correct and set straight those that we love in Christian conduct, our lives need to be living examples for them to follow. As Christians, we need to be 
see those who are skilled surgeons who yield the scalpel of God's word to excise sin and encourage spiritual growth daily. We need to be those who are who, about whom it is said the surgeon of the soul only cuts to achieve a cure. Isn't it terrible when you ask your children, where in the world did you learn language like that? Where in the world did you learn behavior like that? And they look back and say, I learned it by watching you. I heard your conversation the other night with mama. I I heard the way that you talked to her. I heard what you called her. I heard the way that you talked about the preacher last Sunday. And I'm just repeating what you said. How terrible that we would see and understand that many times our lives are fault-filled instead of faithful. See, the purpose of the correction, though, and the purpose of the stern rebuke is always to be redemptive, to be restorative. The purpose of the stern rebuke is to rescue from the error of myths and commandments of mere mortals those things that cannot save in order to deliver them to the truth of the gospel. That one thing which does save in any rebuke and reprimand, the purpose is always to be redemptive and restorative for healthy doctrine so that the church might flourish and so that God's church might show forth as a flower garden of the faithful. That's what He wants your life and my life to be in the context of our culture. Let me ask you this. If I came and laid the Bible beside your life tomorrow, would you be faithful? Would you be an example? Would you be able to stand and to rebuke and reprove those who are out of line with it? If not, why wouldn't you? The final point today is that there are two real responses to God's truth. In every generation, in every person, in every life, there are two real responses to the gospel. It says in verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. There are only two types of people within the purview of the Christian worldview. Those that know Jesus and those that need to know Jesus. Those who have been saved and those who need to be saved. Those that are destined for heaven by repenting of their sin and placing their faith on unreservedly in the person and work work of Jesus Christ and those that are destined for hell because they have rejected him. Listen, there are really only two categories of people within our culture, within our family, within our friends, within our community. There are only two responses to the message of the gospel and that is either a bowed head and a bent knee or a turned back. And the question today is where are you? And if you want to see where you are, all you need to do is hold a mirror, the mirror of God's Word, up to your life and see where you are. Because it says they claim to know Him, but everything within them, everything that they do, everything that they practice denies that profession. See, Paul reminds his readers of his Lord's teaching that the purification, that purification is largely a matter of the internal rather than the external. Understand, once again, the external does not cleanse the internal, but when the internal is cleansed, the external can't help but change, can it? And if it doesn't, something's wrong because the internal must not have changed. 
Jesus says, There is nothing that enters a man from outside that can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Why did water come out of the bottle? Because it was water that was in the bottle. Nothing outside can corrupt a man and make him impure. But when he is pure inside, all things will be pure outside. Someone who is internally impure corrupts all that he touches. And so the false teachers were corrupt to the core. Their minds and their conscience were stamped with the steel seal of unredeemed. What was re- the result? Well, they claimed to know God, but their, their actions demonstrated that they truly didn't know God. First John chapter 2, verse 4 says this. Listen, young people, I want you to hear this and mark this word down. Mark this verse down in your Bible. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. You justify running around and drinking and drugs and doing any, any and everything that you want to do because I want to live my life my way, but I'm a Christian. No, you're not. If you say that you know Him, but you don't obey His commands, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. You need to get right with God and you need to do it now because there are only two types of people in this world. Those who have received the gospel and those who have rejected the gospel. Listen. The impure interiors Render them externally detestable to God. This, this is indeed true of our lives and we need to understand this. And I want you to hear this well. It is the direction of your life, not the intention of your head, that determines the destination of your course. It is the direction of your steps, the way that you are living out and making those choices each and every day of life and not just the intention of your head that actually determines the destination of your course. You're headed to heaven, then everything in your life ought to demonstrate you're a follower of Christ and that you have been changed and transformed. Because you claim to know Him, you ought to walk just as Jesus walked. That's what 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, my life verse says. We need to be people who are honest about where we are and what, who we serve and what we're doing. In the area of spiritual life, our minds can deceive us and we can say, oh, well, I'm safe. I've walked an aisle. I've prayed a prayer. I've gotten baptized. Everything's good. Listen, if you're not following Jesus Christ moment by moment, day by day, you are not on the road that you think you are. Listen to the words from an old engraving at a cathedral in Germany. Thus speaks Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk in me not. You call me life and live in me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. Because it is actually the pattern, the course, the practice of your life that has set the direction, not merely the profession of your lips. 
we need to be good watches. What are good watches? Well, they're made of pure gold. They're seeking to, to glint and to gleam and to serve the purposes for which the, they have been created. They're open-faced. They're always on time. They're dependable. They're always busy and full of good works. Indeed, our lives need to show that we are God's watches within the midst of this world. We cannot profess what we deny or deny what we profess. At least to do so is the essence of of hypocrisy for us because then we profess God in word and deny him in our deeds. This is ritual without reality, form without power, claims without character, faith without works. The question I have for you this afternoon, this morning, is just one. Who are you? Where are you going? And who are you serving? The answer to that is one of two answers. You're either serving yourself and you're going to bust the gates of hell wide open or you're serving your Savior and God, Jesus Christ. And you're seeing day by day a transformational, uh, a transformed life so that your profession actually matches up with your practice. Father, as we come today, I pray that those who do not know you might come to know you right now. Father, that they would not wait a minute more, but they would step out, that they would follow follow through, and that they would yield their lives to you and to you alone. Father, I pray right now that all, all of us who are Christians, Father, would be considering the pre- profession that we make and the practice of our lives. Father, let our hearts be intent on serving you and let the directions of our daily steps Father, show that our destination is not hell, but eternal life with you in heaven. Lord, lead us and guide us now in this time of decision. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now and sing our hymn of response.